And I am on the floor in my kitchen in the fetal position, crying and sobbing, thinking I, I can't get off the floor. And, and I don't, I don't know what to do. Right. That's how, that's how bad it was hitting me. What is up everybody? And welcome back to the Schooling Struggle Podcast. It is our belief that the only guarantee in life is that we are all going to struggle. And how we choose to embrace our struggles is what empowers us to become the best versions of ourselves. How's it going? My name is Pete, coming to you from my basement in Heartland, Vermont. And with me is my friend and co-host, Todd Ellis, coming to you from Tacoma, Washington. Mm-hmm. What's up, Todd? I'm try- I've been trying to come up with new what's up, Peters, but I'm just going to go with what's up, Peter. I'm a big fan of um, ritual and routine, so I'm good with the same old one every time. Uh, well, what's up, Peter? Man, good living, good living. I'm yeah. really excited about tonight's show because the guest that we've brought on is, um, all kidding aside, one of the most positive, powerful, influential people in my life. And in our series called Grounded, this person is someone who I really wanted to bring on to have a cool conversation with because I believe he lives a life that is incredibly grounded. I look up to him in so many ways, and he has um, just really enriched my life just by modeling and also through having a really fun time doing stuff with him, like working out and cutting down Christmas trees and all sorts of stuff that we like to do. So without further ado, I'd love to welcome and introduce my good friend Nick Wolf to the School and Struggle podcast. Um, back in my former school, when we worked together, we always referred to each other within the same name that the students referred to us as. So I call him Mr. Wolf. What's up, Mr. Wolf? Nice to see both of you this evening. This is fantastic. Thanks for having me on. I love to see that I'm not the only one coming from my basement. I can see you have a nice setup with a rogue echo bike behind you with a set of dumbbells that makes me happy. So thanks for setting the stage for us. Yeah, for our listeners at home, we've got the Rogue Echo Bike. We've got a full set of dumbbells from 5 to 50 there. So just in case anyone needs to get after it, we're ready to roll. And your basement ceiling is five and a half feet high-ish, somewhere in there? Yeah, almost six. So it's great for snatches and cleaning jerks, yep. Just bend those knees on your pull-ups and you're good to go. Perfect. Uh, it's awesome. It's awesome. So I, I in, in setting up this series of Grounded and talking to people that I feel live a life um, of purpose and fulfillment and are truly living out the priorities that they feel they've set for themselves. Uh, you, you came to mind so much of our conversation and um, for the better part of 12 years, I had lunch with Mr. Wolf every single day and the the topics that we covered and the conversations we had and the, the stuff that we did um, was really, really thought provoking and really, really helpful for me to, kind of lay lay down some priorities for myself and try to follow through on that. So before we get into some of the nuanced ways that you live your life that I'd love to dive into this evening, um, I'd love to just kind of set the stage and ask you, before we get into this conversation, what is it that you'd love the listeners to know about you as we go over the different types of topics we're going to discuss tonight? Sure. I'll just give a little brief background. I'm um, currently teaching at Woodstock High School. So this is my fourth year at the high school. And as Pete said before, we taught together for uh, around 12 years. So I was at Heartland Elementary School where Pete was for about 15 years. And so we overlapped for a good majority of that. I was born in Vermont. My parents are born in Vermont. Um, 
been living in Vermont for, for really my whole life. Um, I grew up in the White River Junction area and graduated from the high school that Pete's now teaching at, Hartford. And after that, went to University of Vermont. At the University of Vermont, I lived on the same floor as my future wife, and that's where we met. After graduating, um, I started teaching right away, for the most part, uh, with a brief interlude with Habitat for Humanity in Durham, North Carolina. But otherwise, I've been pretty much teaching for the past 19 years uh, as a social studies teacher, 6th through 12th grade. And right now, I'm mostly doing ninth graders with some upperclassmen. So our family lives in the Woodstock area. We are fortunate enough to live on a almost 20-acre homestead that has been in my wife's family for generations. And we live there with my three daughters. And we do lots of fun homesteading things like cutting all our firewood and canning vegetables and fruit and you name it. So that's a yeah. little bit about me. Yeah. So one of the questions um, that I wanted to ask you is what is something different from your childhood that might, what is something from your childhood that is different from what you might say the norm is, but we could almost say that about your kid's childhood currently and where you are and how, and how you're living on your homestead. Yeah, I love that question. So my childhood is actually quite normal. I grew up in the 80s, uh, in like very normal 80s childhood, 80s, 90s childhood. Um, we were very middle class, but my parents are teachers, so I grew up with a very stable, normal childhood. I guess the only abnormal thing was I am an only child, so most people had siblings, and I was often hanging out with people who had siblings, and I didn't. So that meant I did a lot of things by myself. Not that I didn't do a lot of things with my parents, but um, that meant, uh, you know, I might be in my room reading for hours by myself or playing Nintendo for hours by myself or doing a variety of things. Um, and so I'm really comfortable doing things by myself and I'm really, I really need uh, sort of some alone time. I would say I'm pretty introverted and crave that time, which is kind of ironic because I spend the majority of my day in front of hundreds of people, right, at school. And, um, you might think that's not what an introvert would want to be doing, but I do love that. It's just that afterwards I'm exhausted, whereas some people, I feel like that charges them up all day. But the the life that my children are living is very different from what I grew up with. We're living kind of in the middle of nowhere, um, almost off the grid without technically being off the grid, um, right? We cut all of our own firewood. We try to eat as much off the land as we can. We have chickens. We slaughter our own chickens and eat them. Um, my kids, literally, we call them free-range children. They free-range outside at our at our property. And Pete's been over. He knows we've got quite a big place to run around in. And you can entertain yourselves just outside all day, every day. And so for them, not having devices, not being on smartphones, not wanting all that is, is very normal. Um, eating all of our meals together every day is perfectly normal. Um, so those sorts of things um, that you know, many people don't have today, like living the way you might on Little House on the Prairie. That's kind of what my kids are getting to do for the most part. And they don't know any different and they love it. That's awesome. And and when thinking about the topic of, of staying grounded, um, I mean, you quite literally, it seems to me, you enjoy spending your time working out and living out your, your time on your land and, and doing things <laughs> quite literally with the ground. I feel like every time I go over, there's a new garden or a new plot that's being prepared for whatever's 
whatever it is that you have going on. I know you have um, grapevines and Christmas tree harvesting and all sorts of fruits and vegetables. And I feel like, at least from, from my perspective, the outside looking in, the way that you seem to choose to enjoy spending your time is with your family cultivating your land. Absolutely. Without a doubt, you know, I'm already thinking what I'm looking forward to doing once the snow melts and that's, you know, cutting all that wood that I skidded out this winter, right? This, you know, typically in December, January, we're, we're skidding out the logs and sometimes we process the logs immediately, but yeah, with the snow we had this winter, there's probably like four feet of snow on the logs. So we're not going to, I'm not going to cut that until probably April, May, but I'm already so excited to start cutting up that wood. And I'm already starting to think about building, rebuilding a stone wall and the new trees that we ordered this year, right? We ordered, um, I don't know, maybe six new apple trees that we're going to add in and just things like that. Like that's what I'm looking forward to. I'm not looking forward to a vacation somewhere, right? I'm not looking forward to going on a trip somewhere. I'm looking forward to when the snow melts and I can, I can work outside, which Mr. D and I have the, uh, a lot of good laughs about because uh, one of his favorite things is to find someone else to do the work at his house, I think. And so as much as he and I both work outside all the time, one of us loves it and the other one I don't think does. So that's a little connection between the two of us. <laughs> Todd, got anything you want to jump in on? I got a few things, actually. Thanks for uh, thanks for sharing your time with us, Nick, and sharing your story. I think it's, it's very interesting. Um, I have a few questions, but I want to set the stage with, if you don't feel like talking about any of the questions I ask, just say pass or <laughs> randomly put your arms in the air or something like that. Um, so the first the first one I wonder is, um, you have three girls, right? Are they, yep. uh, what's their ages, if you don't mind? Like just a yep, range. They're, yeah, they're, um, we've got a kindergarten, second grade, and fifth grade. Interesting. Um, so when I heard you talk about, you were, a, um, and correct me if I go wrong, but you, you said you were a only child and um so as a as a right as a result of that um you don't mind periods of or you thrive on or or need maybe is a better word to recharge like stents of alone time probably because of the experiences you had as a child i wonder my my first question i wrote down was how does the isolation of your childhood how you experienced it enhanced or detract from that of your children's experience or does it? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question, and and I'll also preface it with I was far from isolated. You know, I had lots of friends. I was always, you know, having sleepovers, going to other kids' houses, things like that. So, I don't want to paint a picture as though this was like some horrible isolating experience. It's <laughs> no. actually fantastic, yeah. um, but I get what you're saying. And what's interesting, and I I appreciate that question is, so my wife and I are both relatively introverted and don't need all that socialization, yet. Um, our children do. Our children are not wired the same we are. And um, especially my oldest is, is quite extroverted. And she she wants to have sleepovers and go on sleepovers and get together more with friends. And we've had to realize like, oh, I, just because I don't want to do that doesn't mean you don't want to do that. And okay, as much as I don't want to have, you know, all these sleepovers at my house, like maybe we need to do that because that's important for my daughter. And so, okay, we'll suck it up and We'll do that, even though it's not how I want to spend my weekend with extra kids over at my house. If that's meaningful for her, um, that's the thing we'll do as a parent. And, you know, and there's a fine line, right? Like we're not doing it every weekend, obviously, but now yeah. and then, because my preference would be never, right? <laughs> I don't ever need to have extra children over at my house. Um, three is plenty. Right. But no, for real, that's it's something that we, we really do talk and think about. Yeah, that's a perfect segue to my second question. So I've heard Pete say 
um, and Pete, correct me if I'm wrong, but I've heard him say, um, based on his dietary, I mean, him and him and Jen, I think are pretty close, but, um, based on their dietary, um, standards or, or choices, I guess, um, like sugar's not a thing or like if LJ wants to eat these things, like you, you let her know about the choices of what you, you know, like how you feel about it, whatever. And it's cool that they have that choice, but to go back to, to tack on, I guess, Nick, to what you just said, um, I wonder in that same vein, if your children don't see a necessity, I think you were talking about external things, cell phones and distractions like that. If, if they don't see a necessity for those things, what might be a conflict in the future? So if like, when I think isolation now, I'm like painting this picture in my mind, like you live on a compound and nobody ever goes out there and does those things, but clearly they're in school. But I wonder if like, at some point, um, do you foresee, or have you maybe already started hearing like, um, the kids recognize there's a difference between them and the other kids and like that creates a gap. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I think we're already encountering it in, in the middle school here. So my oldest is in fifth grade and yeah. you know, half of her classmates are probably 80% of her classmates have cell phones. And, yeah. you know, in our mind, it's like, yeah, when you go to college, you can get a cell phone. That seems appropriate. Um, which, <laughs> you know, it just isn't probably realistic anymore, but we're really struggling with how do we, how do we do that? And it's not that she wants one. She's fine without having one, but the reality is that is how they're socializing. And so yeah. she is already, uh, you know, outcast is a strong word, but she's already, limiting her social uh, situations because she's not constantly on it and she she sees that and it's not that she wants the phone she's like i don't want it to be this way right I, it stinks that this is how it is so yeah there there's a lot of choices we've made that um that impact them socially and it, the good thing is i think they'll be fine <laughs> and they'll probably be better for it in the long run but but absolutely it's a it's a discussion we have often at our house yeah cool yeah thanks when for it sure. comes when it comes to the food stuff in our house, uh, it is clear that the food that we pack in our daughter's lunchbox each day is very different from what the majority of her classmates are eating. One, it's very different from the food served at school. And the food served at her school is, is, is very high quality, in my opinion, compared to every other school out there. But we just don't do any of the processed snacks. Um, you know, Jen spends a lot of time thinking about and packaging up cut up fruit and cheese and all these things. And we've just said to our daughter, like every family's doing what they feel is best for their kid. And this is what we feel is best for you. And we understand that this is very different, but you also need to understand that we're not going to waver from this. So for the next, however long you're in school until 12th grade, this is how we're going to approach our eating in school. I, I bring the same stuff to school. Mommy brings the same stuff to school and we're just preparing you like this is going to be this way. And we just need to figure out how to navigate it because our choices for what we think should be going in your body are are not gonna are not gonna be in line with a lot of your best friends, and, yeah. and that's okay. And we're, and we're really careful not to cast any judgment or say what we're doing is right and what they're doing is wrong. It's just every family does what they think is best, and this is what we think is best for you. Absolutely, and we're doing that as well. You know, uh, my wife Heather is is a registered dietitian by training. Uh, she's written a cookbook, so she is big into eating healthy, to say the least. And, uh, you know, I, I would say a good example would be she has the opportunity to work more than she's working right now. Right now she works um, three days a week and she's home on Mondays and Fridays. And that allows her to cook a lot, uh, allows her to can. You know, we canned 120 quarts of applesauce um, the other season. Uh, it allows us to do those sorts of things that 
you know, if she was working five days a week, which absolutely she could with, with her degrees and her ability, she could be the vice president of some large organization doing lots of high level work. But for her and for us, it's, she, she'd rather be home putting good meals, um, in front of our children when it's time, but also prepping, right? She's really big on like, let's cook for the week so that we're ready to go. You know, Thursday when we're worn out, it's the end of the week, we've got that meal ready to go and it's homemade and the tomato sauce is from our tomatoes, right? And the beans are from our beans and the, and everything is something that we made maybe literally off our land. Um, not always, of course, but like that's the goal and that's, that's the trade-off, right? Like we're trading off half of her income um for that time right mm. and you know, right, i know you guys talk a lot about time and money and right that's a choice that we're making let's have less money but more time and i think it, it's an easy trade-off you know and we're privileged that we can do that do you articulate that to your daughters yes absolutely yeah. they're yeah. well so aware the other part is is leading by example or like living that example right like absolutely. i'm not over here in the mcdonald's while you're eating applesauce because clearly we're in this together right and yeah absolutely and, and they're and they're making the applesauce with us right they're yeah. they're in the garage and they are um they're helping peel and squeeze and yeah. like they're doing it with us and they love it too like as most human beings doing most human beings enjoy being productive right like that's the thing that we forget especially at school when we see kids who who are sitting there you know oh they're these kids don't want to do anything of course they do and maybe they don't want to do this but they want to be productive and there's so much pride in that when you're doing something and you're accomplishing it and you're seeing it come to fruition like that's huge and so um i, I think our kids are lucky that they get to see those tangible things they get to see the applesauce the 120 quarts of it they get to see the freezer full of berries that they picked Right. We spend in the summer. It's like, oh, man, this is week four of picking berries. I'm getting <laughs> yeah. really I just I just want to go to bed. Right. But the sun's going to go down in 45 minutes. So we all need to be outside picking berries or else we're going to not have berries come March. Right. But right now I can open the freezer. we got a freezer right over there um, for our listeners at home. I'm pointing to we have two chest freezers in our basement here. Right. We can go over there and pull out berries i can pull out the rooster um you know 10 of the roosters that we killed and they're ready to roll we've got them and all that work you know it it pays off at these different times later on and That's everyone's awesome. proud of that so um as we're talking nick still doesn't have a cell phone for himself and the fact that he has internet in his house is basically just chalked up to the fact that covid happened everyone got sent home and for for he and his wife to continue working to have income they had to have a wire installed to their house, but otherwise we would not be doing this podcast from your house. Cause if it were up to you, there would be no internet in your house. Yeah. And to be fair, we do have prepaid track phones, $5 a month. So I don't want to <laughs> get, get that twisted at all. We know. So if anyone needs to text him, go ahead, but it's going to cost him a quarter. It's, it's 25 <laughs> cents a minute. Yeah. As Pete knows, um, four, he sends me like four texts once a year and that's like a dollar right there. So Try not to use those up, but anyways, yeah, we got internet about a year ago because of COVID, right? And um, and Heather works from home most of the week, and so that's huge, right? That's it's that trade off, right? There's always that marginal cost benefit there of is it worth it for us to get internet, which will allow the lifestyle of Heather being home a lot more than traveling 45 minutes each way during the week, um. Yeah, it's worth it, but there's there's definitely drawbacks. Pete and I talk about it all the time, and right, a benefit is I don't have to leave my house to do this podcast. I'd probably would have 
driven up to my in-laws who are a mile and a half up the road. I would have driven up to their house and gone in their basement and recorded from there. Or I got my master's degree in 2015 and I did like 90% of it online and we didn't have internet. So that meant I went to the library. I'd drive to town and go to the library or I'd go to different places and sit outside and use the Wi-Fi. You know, things like that. Like you just figure it out and you do it. And it's not that hard. You you plan ahead, right? It's it's sort of like the kids at school. Mr. Wolf, I, I got to text my mom because she's we're figuring out our plans for after school. And I'm like, why didn't you figure these out in the morning, right? <laughs> it's just like that. Like you can you can plan ahead here. And so without internet, it was fine. You just planned ahead. Like mm-hmm. I'll go here tomorrow and I'll I'll do the podcast from this location. Um. So yeah, sure. It's really nice having it right now. I don't have to leave my house. But it also means that after this, I might be amped up and I'll stretch and watch some YouTube video for 20 minutes that I don't need to be doing, right? So instead of just, you know, going to sleep and reading, I might, I might be tempted to use the internet. Um, what's your, sure. what's your, what's the process for, if you have one, I mean, obviously you have the awareness already because you're like, I might slip into this, but <laughs> it, like, how do you, or do you, like, obviously you exercise that awareness, but is there, is there a... Um, it seems to me like just listening to you talk, it seems to me like you're very um, open to and open and overly maybe articulate. I don't know if overly is the right word, but with the kids, like here's the payoff for the thing, right? Like we have this, it lets, it lets your mom stay home and, and do this work that we think is meaningful. But on the other side, there's a danger. You observe that yourself. Is that something that you have conversations with your kids about? Yeah. And I think they can understand that to some degree, um, right? We have a, we have a DVD player. So when we want to watch those Disney movies or something, right, we go to the library, the town library, and we, borrow dvds mm-hmm. and we watch you know whatever whatever the children's show is that we want to watch and um they understand that right and they're fine with it because yeah. there's plenty of great things happening and they, they see that trade-off that's cool so i'd like to shift the conversation to there's two there's two things i want to touch on uh, particularly in talking to nick tonight one of them is you and i have had many conversations over the topic of being content versus striving to progress. And one area that I really look up to you and where I think that you're incredibly grounded is you've expressed to me the fact that you don't have always necessarily feel that we as humans need to progress, that we need to get more, that we need to achieve more, that we need to accumulate more, that we need to have more, that we need to do more, that we need to be more. But it's okay to take a step back and a deep breath and say, you know what? Where I am is friggin' awesome. And I'm going to take the pressure off myself to continue to add and add and level up and level up. And I think I'm always torn because like how much of the fact that we as humans yearn for progression is innately in us and how much of it is cultural and how much of it is, is learned behavior that I need to have the nice thing or the next thing or the promotion or the next level up in my lifestyle. And that's one area where I really, really think is amazing how you and your wife have managed and navigated. We're really cool where we are. Let's be grateful for that. Let's celebrate that. Let's appreciate that. And let's keep rolling with what we're doing. Whereas I am like, yo, I want to be fitter. 
I want to be fitter. I want to be fitter. I want to be fitter. And I'm, no matter how fit I get, I'm never going to be satisfied. And you've had many conversations with me saying, yo, bro, like it's okay to be satisfied. Like you don't always need to be chasing. Yeah. That's, I think that's the conversation we've had the most over the past five years or so, Pete. And I don't know, you know, I, I'm torn when, when you say that because there's plenty of things I, I want, right? There's plenty of things I want to improve upon. I want to get fitter. <laughs> I want to I want to add more stone walls to my property, right? So like, is that a lot different than you in some of the year endeavors? I don't know. Um, maybe it just looks more socially acceptable because of I'm growing garden food. Like, it's, it, how much of it is that, right? Uh, how much of it is that I'm privileged with what, with what I've been given that I, that I get to live in a beautiful place with almost 20 acres of land. Would I want more if I wasn't living in that? What if I lived in an apartment, uh, you know, anywhere and I didn't have much, would I want to, would I keep striving for more and more and more? Maybe it's cause I have it all right. And, and I know part of that's mindset. And I think what you're saying is, well, some people in your situation would keep wanting more. I don't know. I feel like I've got it all. And so, I think most, in my opinion, I think most people would want more. I, I, f- I feel like we as humans just desire the next thing. We don't desire the end. Like we don't desire the big, huge thing. We just want the next thing. Like m- my brother is famous for saying, man, if I just made $5,000 more a year, I'd have everything that I want. And then 10 years later, He's made five thousand and made five thousand and he still wants just that extra five thousand, even though his salary's gone up fifteen thousand or so you know, that's just just an example. And I think that you are comfortable saying exactly what you just said to us. I have everything I could need and want. Why would I want more? And I think the majority of us, me included, don't have that mindset. Yeah, and I think it's I think when you compare what we have, what I have to the rest of America, it's easy to say that, right? Like, you know, I'm not in the, I'm, I'm in the middle, but if you compare what I have to 95% of the rest of the world, I am the top 1%, right? And I think I've realized that. I think that's the difference is I, I'm seeing that on the global scale. I, I, ha- I do have it all actually. And it's sort of that in America, we, we've got it all backwards. We've got it all messed up. And so I do feel, I feel like I live like a king. Right. I have two working vehicles and running water and a house that's in great shape. Like I have everything I need. And it just obviously still doesn't mean I don't want more things like Pete and I always have this discussion of there's always another piece of fitness equipment to buy. Right. There's always another set of dumbbells I'd like to get. I'd still I still want to get that concept to biker. That's still on my mind. Right. I do want that. Um, so I don't know where that plays in either. It's not like. I'm this miraculous person who has no cravings. I, there's plenty of things I'd like to get. There's more power power tools that I'd like to add to my arsenal, right? I want to upgrade that more at some point to a to an electric more instead of a gas-powered one, right? So I don't know. Is that a lot different? I don't know. I, I, just, I just see it as you have a higher level of gratitude for what you have than pretty much everybody else I know. And I lived in a developing nation, and I know the fact that I have 20 plus pairs of shoes puts me in that top 1% in the world. Like there's a large, there's a large amount of kids in this world that have zero pairs of shoes. And and I'm aware that there's a continuum and I'm aware that where I am in the continuum compared to the rest of the world is in that top 1%. But that's still, I still like 
I'm so grateful. Like people say, Hey Pete, how are you doing? I say, you know, what? I'm just too blessed to be stressed. Like I'm incredibly grateful for all that I've been given and the privilege that I have sometimes even to a point of guilt, but I just feel like you just, you just take it all in stride and your mentality is I'm just going to focus on what I have versus focusing on what it is that I don't have. And I, and I think that that's an incredibly admirable quality about you and your, yeah. and your humility about it saying, well, no, I'm not that way. I desire these things just kind of speaks in my opinion to, to who you are. I appreciate that. Yeah. Were you taught that at a, at a young, I, I wonder where that come from. So like, did your grandparents or your parents like, Hey, we don't need the best power drill. <laughs> We've got a drill that does the job just fine. Is it, I mean, has there always been that degree of like, you know, that's I, a great question. That's a great question. You know, I think it's just, um, growing up, we, we were, you know, middle class, but we were certainly not wealthy by any means. And my parents worked really hard. My parents always worked second jobs. Um, they always gave, uh, music lessons in the summer. My dad painted in the summers or, played gigs. He still plays gigs and he's in his seventies. Right. Um, they were always working hard and that was always a model. My grandparents were always working hard and, um, doing relatively blue collar jobs. And so I, I was working from a young age, right. Um, we had a lawn mowing business. My dad and I did when I was probably in sixth grade and we would, and when I say lawn mowing business, I don't mean we had a trailer full of riding mowers. I mean, (laughs) I mean, we each had a push mower that we put in the back of the F-150 and we drove around and we both got it out and we'd push for hours and hours and hours. Um, so I was doing that at a pretty young age and, and it was probably a mower that my grandfather had built from two mowers because he was a mechanic. That was his, uh, my dad's dad, that was his trade. And so he could fix anything. And right. And then in, middle school I was working at the restaurant that I worked at for about a decade all through school and we would work really hard um but everybody I saw was working hard right when I when I was mowing lawns with my dad he was working hard and 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 he was letting me keep the money right so he was essentially working for free to model what it was like Uh. to to have that like have that responsibility of like okay every week we're we're gonna we got these lawns to mow whether you want to or not right we're gonna go do that whether it's 90 degrees out or not we're gonna go push this mower all afternoon when i was working at the restaurant it was my buddy's um parents owned the place and it got to the point where by the time we were in high school there were times when we were working um seven days a week we were literally working seven days a week and then the next week seven days a week and then the next week seven days in a week You, you know we were I remember one time we worked like 21 days in a row in the summer, you know, and then we'd have one day off and then it was like another 20 days. And we just did it. Cause that's what you did. Cause his, his parents were doing it. Right. His, his mom worked like 150 days in a row. She'd never took a day off. And, you know, we get there at 5am we'd, we'd open up the place and that's just what you did. And I guess I never had the sense of like, well, I'm too good for this or I should have to, I shouldn't have to get up in the morning or, I don't know. It was always just like, well, that's the expectation is that you work for what you want. And it, and my parents had me, I had a savings account at kindergarten. Right. And it was, you know, back then it was pennies in a, in a piggy bank, but it was that concept of you're going to put money in this and then you're going to bring it to the bank. And when you need something, you will take some of it out and you will buy it with that and you'll save the rest for a large purchase. Like if that's a car or college or whatever that is. And, you know, I, I bought things like every uh, teenager does, but 
I was also pretty frugal. I wanted to keep my money because I knew I was going to need it for something, whether it was a house or, or college. And I think, so I, I guess the roundabout answer to your question is I think I, I had, um, I think I had a lot of good mentors who, who showed me how to do that, right? My parents, we weren't going on fancy trips. We, um, you know, our, our summer vacation was, we would go to Maine for two days and we'd stay in a motel, not a hotel, right? We would go, we'd go over to the ocean and it was probably two nights in a motel. And that was our, that was vacation. You know, it wasn't two weeks somewhere far away. It wasn't. It's not working. That's what it's doing, right? <laughs> yeah, right. It was, yeah, right. we, we were, that was vacation or, or it was camping, right? A lot of times my yeah. dad and I would go camping, you know, maybe the neighbor would come with us and we'd go somewhere for a week camping. Um, so we weren't taking these extravagant trips. Like just, that was, that was my expectation. And that's what, you know, you don't know that that's different. Yeah. That's funny. I'm, I'm a lot the same way. Like we didn't like f- my grandparents lived in my backyard and my parents, we like, what are we doing this weekend? Well, we're taking care of the backyard of the backfield. Why? Well, cause who else is going to do it? Right. And I'm the same way. Like, I don't, I don't feel like it. We just talked about this not too long ago. Pete. Like, I feel like I don't really strive to like really care about the next, like, I want the next thing. I want the newest thing. Like, sure. I, I'm like, whatever. I'm like, I'm, I'm, we're different, but I think that there's something in there that that work ethic or, or even that shared, like I go to work with my grandpa, but my grandpa gives me the pay, but he's setting the model for that thing. I think that that, that gives you something at the base level that allows you to build on top of it. And then you're like, Oh, I should, we should, this is just the way things work. So that's very interesting. And now you got your kids into it. Same thing. Right. So it's yeah, exactly. They've, they've got yeah. their, their chores, right. We've got, oh, I don't know, maybe 60 chickens right now. And so each one of them has a different chicken chore, yeah. whether it's, you know, collecting the eggs, washing the eggs, stickering the egg boxes, um, just everybody, everybody has to pitch in with stuff. That's awesome. Where are you going, Pete? Last summer I was at Nick's property and in the middle of the summer, I tend to get overwhelmed with the amount of yard work that needs to be done on my, um, my piece of land. And I, like Nick said, uh, except for mowing, which I do, I love sitting on the mower and listening to Wu Tang Clan and drive around and mow. I don't like to do anything else. And in my perfect world, um, I would work out, <laughs> and somebody else would do all my yard chores. And I'm getting there because I'm I'm building my personal training business where I train people and I just take that money and and pay my students to come weed whack and cut branches and all the stuff that I really don't like to do. And I'm looking over his property and. He's got a pond that he's dug um, with a lean-to next to it. They, they do family campouts over, you know, over by the water, and they have I couldn't even tell you how many gardens. And the gardens are enormous. And he's always in some sort of process of cutting down wood and stacking wood, and always preparing for a winter or two winters away. And he's got sixty chickens running around, and his wife has these beautiful, beautiful native gardens. The, the color at the place is just beautiful, and I'm just looking around, going dude, like, this is beautiful, but how do you, like, mentally, how do you manage this? Because when I'm home, I'm never relaxed. I'm looking at everything that I need to do all the time. And when you talk about, like, going away on vacation, I go away on vacation for one reason. It's to spend time with my family without being stressed out by the stuff that I have to do in my house and, and on my property. And you share with me something that was really incredibly helpful at the time. And, and I really want to pull this into the conversation, Nick. And uh, if you can, we'll go as deep on this as you, as you want. But you looked at me and you said, I have to remind myself that 
at the end of the day, and this isn't exactly what you said, but you can phrase it, you can, you know, rephrase it however you'd like. But at the end of the day, it's not worth stressing about because in 50 years, I'm not going to be here. In 100 years, this might not even be here. So taking the long view of why stress about it now because it's not worth stressing about now in this short time when who knows what's what's coming down the road. I did not articulate that nearly as well as I was hoping, but I hope that I shared enough that I can jog your memory for yeah, that yeah, conversation. Yeah. No, I, I remember share. this conversation. We were I actually remember we were standing, we were over uh, kind of near the wood pile near the stone wall there. And I remember you were all stressed out and I don't know why I said that, but it's true. I think I had just come from an experience where I was thinking long term and thinking about mortality and things like that and uh, it's so true though, you know, I'll give you a practical reason why this jumps to my mind. I had a section of my property where um, we cleared some trees and then for 10 years we didn't really do anything. And most people realize that after about that 10 years, you're going to have a lot of new trees coming up in that area, right? And what it what it was showing me is like how quickly nature is going to take over, right? So at my property, almost 15 of the acres is open field. That that can be reclaimed by trees very, very quickly. It's not it's not gonna take fifty years, you know, it would take like fifteen years or something before most of that open space is reclaimed. And so I guess my point is as much as I I enjoy mowing my lawn and taking care of it and, you know, doing all of my human interactions with it, the reality is this is not gonna look like this in two hundred years, let alone a thousand or you know, however huge immense amount of time you wanna think about it's you know like we're just here for a moment we're just here for a moment so like let's not stress about it like let's do what makes us happy right and what makes me happy is i like cutting the wood i like mowing the lawn i like building stone walls i like doing all these different things so great let's do it and if i don't like it then that shouldn't be part of what i'm doing right um because life is way too short to be stressing over some aspect of my property so because it's gonna all be different anyways so in that, this is very interesting because it leads back to something else I was thinking about earlier when he was talking about not not striving necessarily to achieve more. Um, I wrote down like is is the is the is the underlying thread of that the utility right the utility that I see of this this work that I'm doing to enable me to do something else. And now I wonder like in contrast, you said I I know this. <laughs> it's funny because I I went for a run yesterday and I ran past this gas station that I used to frequent when I was in high school and i thought man this place used to be such a, and now it's just an empty field and i looked down and like the asphalt's all cracking apart here's a tree coming out of it i was like that didn't take very long for that to change and then i thought hmm, it didn't take long for everything to change you just stop caring about it right so it's it's in line with what you're saying but is it do your best or is it do what makes you happy or is it both like like let's say if you're mowing your lawn you're like oh i like to mow my lawn do you do you mow it to like perfection or you just mow it to you're like that's eh, good enough i'm happy with it i'm gonna move along yeah, it's a great question. I mean, that's a whole nother can of worms with mowing because now we're on the kick of not <laughs> mowing as much, actually. So that's a whole nother podcast, I think. Um, the mocha. It's, the, yeah, the mocha. I like that. <laughs> um, I, I think it's more, uh, we view our, we try to view ourselves as stewards, right? You know, if you think of truly what stewardship means is like, we're in, I, I'm privileged enough to be in charge of this piece of land for I don't know, hopefully let's call it 50, 60 years, whatever that time frame ends up being. Um, 
and Heather's grandparents lived here for 50 years before me, right? And they were stewards of it. And then before them, right, it was it was grandma's parents and, and so forth. And it's like, I, I can see the remnants of, of 150 years ago, of 100 years ago, right? I can see the stone wall that was built from, from those folks. And you think, well, what are they going to see from me in 100 years, right? Uh-huh. What What's going to, what are they going to see? And I don't know these people's names that were from 100 years ago. I'm just, but, but they did their best and they treated the land with care and, and reverence. And that's all I can do. Right. I need to do my best because someone else is going to be here and they're not going to know who I am. They may not know my name. Right. Maybe I'm grandpa. Maybe I'm great grandpa. Maybe by that point, they have no idea that I even existed, but the land's going to be here. And hopefully I didn't pollute it. Right. Hopefully I didn't disturb it. Hopefully I didn't mess it up right it's more of let's not mess this up for the next generation because that's yeah. who's coming like leave it better than you found it right and ho- leave it, exactly yeah, leave it better yeah, than yeah, you found yeah. it huh interesting we could talk a whole hour on that but go ahead <laughs> yeah atai when you brought up the uh the story about the woman who her trash she could fit inside a mason jar after yeah. however many years like that's a conversation you could go on with nick he, he's uh the way he he stewards yeah, the the creation of Earth and he and his family is 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 really, really interesting because it's just so vastly different from the majority of the people I know. Yeah. Um, but when he said he wanted to treat his land with care and reverence, he also treats people that way, and I think that is one remarkable trait of his. Like you'll never meet a student of his or a colleague of his that has anything but wonderful, mm. revering things to say about him because he 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 treats people in the same way that he's describing his land, which is, which is really, really, really cool. Yeah. I've never met anybody like that. <laughs> nice to meet you, Nick. <laughs> it's, it's been a while. I remember when you came and was it 2016 the Heartland? It was a while. I've, I've been it planning, a a re- I've been planning another trip and now I have all this time on my hands. I might, I might just do that. There you go. There you go. Yeah. 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 When I was telling, uh, when I was giving Nick the microphone and telling him to hook it up, he's like, he's like, yeah, I remember Mean Todd when he came to the school. We did a workout together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that was that awesome. Was too. Yeah. yeah, that's so interesting. Like, where do you, it's so bizarre to me. It's not bizarre, but it's like, how do you realize that you have that trait and then you're and then you're able to like cultivate it, or is it just like, like you said, I like just I can't like put a finger on it. It's just something I've always had. He lives with a thirty thousand foot view, twenty four seven, which, yeah. which I strive to do. I don't know. Pete gives me a lot of credit. I I can give you a, a number of things that I've learned from Pete and the way he carries himself and the things that I've stolen. And I'll use the word stolen from him that I use on, on a daily basis interacting with people because all those nice things he said about me, I don't I don't necessarily feel that way. And it's really generous of him to say that, but that's not necessarily how I feel. And I can we can <laughs> we can segue into all my insecurities and anxieties that I do have and how Pete's helped me with that, you know, with his attitude. Um, around life because I think that's sometimes that we're the other we're the other side of the coin of, of each other sometimes um, and the way he is so what comes across as effortless with people um, I've learned so much from him about how to interact with people do you this is around the time when we start to wrap up um, I don't know what your I don't know what your t- your time frame is oh we're just getting going do you do you <laughs> want to dig popcorn. into? Do you want to take a little bit of time to dig into some of your your challenges that you've been navigating? Because up to this point, 
I definitely have painted a rosy picture of you because that's the person that I see and that's, I love you and that's who you are. But without a doubt, you have battled some things that I think are very common amongst many people. And if they were to hear some of that from you, uh, I think it would be a really helpful, helpful conversation. Absolutely. I'd, I'd be happy to talk about that. Um, so I've probably only realized in the past few years that I've that I've had anxiety, that I've struggled with anxiety. Um, I've probably known it deep down my whole life, but not, not really have been able to put a, put a name to it. Um, you know, I can, you know, thinking back in hindsight, I definitely can remember as young as five years old, having it just not realizing what it was and, and that everybody didn't feel that way. <laughs> can you describe like how that manifests? Like what, what is it when you say it? Yeah. I know it's, uh, I know it's anxiety, but like what? It, yeah. So that? for me, it would be, I t- typically had like extreme worrying and catastrophizing and to the point where it became physical, where I would physically feel ways and, you know, panic attacks, things like that. And I guess I'm one of those people that is very functioning with it. You know, um, Pete would always be like, dude, I didn't even realize like, that you felt that way because you come across as so like normal and I'm like I know I'm really good at hiding it which is like the exact opposite thing you should be doing when you have it right yeah. um look at this <laughs> cool past... mask I made to hide yes. myself <laughs> exactly oh, I'm very awesome. good at faking life <laughs> <laughs> but in the past few years I think I've the more open I've become with it the more honest I've become the better I've been able to deal with it which yeah. is you know there's a whole podcast on that right for sure and so for me, uh, a couple things stand out. One was uh, in 2016, Pete and I got our CrossFit L1 certification. He was getting his um, research and he invited me to go with him and and do mine the first time. And eh, Pete probably remembers this, but I was I had a horrible cold at this time. Like I was really sick to the point where I probably shouldn't have gone. But I didn't want to not go. We just spent a thousand dollars for me to go to it. And like I had to get my my L1 certification and we got a hotel room together. We had a hotel room together and he bought me dinner and it was a really, really nice time. It was lovely. And um, so I couldn't back out of that. We got to listen to Wu-Tang Clan on the way down and other mid-90s rap. So it was a fantastic time. But I was in horrible shape. Like I thought I was going to die. And um, anyways, when I got back from that weekend, I just I didn't get any better. Shockingly, having to do Fran, you know, in different workouts <laughs> under stress with people who were 10 times fitter than I was. So yeah, that didn't help my immune system. And anyways, after that, I was super sick and I, I was like, man, I am having a heart attack or something. I'm dying. I got to go. And I went to the doctor and I ended up going, getting chest x-rays and EKGs and all these things. And they're like, um, you're fine. (laughs) You're, (laughs) there's nothing wrong. And I was like, no, like literally I can't sleep. Like my heart feels like it's going to explode out of my chest. Like there's nothing wrong with you. They're like, do you have anxiety? And I'm like, what are you talking about? Of and course, so, if you just spent a weekend with Pete, you have anxiety too. <laughs> yeah, like this is just normal. And then so, you know, and it wasn't honestly until a few more years, which is crazy in hindsight to think it was a few more years later that I really put it together when I um, when I changed jobs. So I had been at Heartland for 15 years, and you know, I had a, so many friends colleagues students community members the whole deal and you know the thought of leaving that was truly terrifying you know and um, I'm not the type of person that that does well with change I like routine and so the the idea of leaving that scared me to death that was my social circle most of my friends were there that's pizza we had lunch every day pizza one of my closest friends 
And so like losing something like that, losing the ability to, to have that social network, to have CrossFit at the school building uh, was truly terrifying. But the, the flip side was I could teach um, four miles away instead of a 30 minute drive. And my kids were going to be going to the same school, the same school system. Um, there was like so many good reasons to make this change. And uh, I did, but it completely um, blew up my anxiety um, to the point where that's when I figured out that I had anxiety. Um, and I'll give you a couple examples. That whole summer leading up to that first day of school, I was, I was a mess. And it got to the point where that first week of school, I was so bad. I think it was the first day. I don't remember exactly, but it was so bad that I was on the kitchen floor. My kids are getting ready to go to school, right? At this point, I've got like a preschooler and a second grader and a, and a two-year-old or something. And I am on the floor in my kitchen in the fetal position, crying and sobbing, thinking, I, I can't get off the floor. And and I don't I don't know what to do, right? That's how that's how bad it was hitting me. You know, I was whatever the next, whatever level I was at, the next level was probably going to the hospital, right? That's how bad it was. It was, it was rock bottom. You know, unfortunately I've got an amazing wife who (laughs) was juggling all of that, right? Three kids trying to go get out the door and, and her husband who's on the floor. And I don't know how she managed it, but she got us out the door and, you know, she immediately called my my doctor and was like, okay, we got to get this guy some medication or something. And so, so that's how I got on to officially having anxiety and and I started taking uh, medication and it was a game changer, right? Like all those things that you should be doing to, to keep your anxiety under control, right? Whether it's mindfulness, whether it's breathing, all those things are, are absolutely worth doing. But, but when it's so bad, sometimes you need something else. And for me, I needed, um, just that little bit to, to bring me back down to a place where then I could use breathing. Then I could use mindfulness. Then I could use those things because it was so, I was too far gone. Right. It's like your house is on fire. So here's a squirt gun to put it out. Right. And that's not going to do it at this point. I need, I need to get myself under control. <laughs> right. I need the airdrop on this thing first. Yeah. Yeah. We got to get this under control first before we can do breathing exercises. Yeah. Right. Like, um, but, but it's true, right? Now I'm at a point where, you know, I can manage with, with exercise, with breathing, with all these things, because that edge is taken off, um, from that. And so I'll just give you another quick, quick story with that is, so it was great. I, I got, got it under control and that year was successful. It was that COVID year. And, um, and then I, I decided, okay, I'm going to get off medication because things are great. <laughs> <laughs> right i don't need this goes. anymore right, right? On, I, things are great i got this under control now and uh, and in, and i did for a while but then about a year ago um, my family all got covid in over april break so it was right when the masks um were coming off for the first time in the schools and so of course my kids came home with covid because all the kids were taking their masks off and spreading it at the elementary school and so our whole family got it at this at the beginning of april break and we got it bad and um on top of that i I developed vertigo with it. So I was, so basically we're dealing with taking care of our sick kids, sick mom and dad. And I had vertigo. So I was like on the couch and I was really, really rough shaped to the point where I I actually thought I was maybe going to die. And again, that was probably me catastrophizing, but 
I, I was thinking, okay, I'm minutes from having to go to the hospital. And if I go to the hospital, they're going to put me on a ventilator. And if they put me on a ventilator, I'm going to die. So I, I, I don't want to even make that trip to the hospital. And uh, anyways, somehow we kind of came out of that. And that's probably another whole podcast. But I went back on medication because a lot of the symptoms I were feeling were shockingly anxiety, right? It wasn't just COVID. I thought, oh man, I've got long COVID. I am like, I'm dying. <laughs> I remember checking in with you like week after week being like, yo, how you feeling? You're like, nothing subsided. Like it's still the same. And I'm like, oh, you have like COVID worse than anyone that I know that I've ever <laughs> Not <known."> helping Peter. <laughs> yeah. And then, <laughs> yeah. And then one week he's like, I, I think my fear and my anxiety over the COVID thing actually is the thing. It's yeah. not the actual COVID. And that was, I just remember having that conversation with yeah. him being like, whoa. And that was like months later, right? Months. Yeah. It was like months of me thinking I'm dying. And then I was like, it then finally hit me. Oh, maybe all these symptoms are actually anxiety. They're not COVID. And that was, I feel so stupid to even say that, but like, that's how it hit. And so I got back on medication and, you know, by the summer I was evened out and I was back to under control. And again, using all these other techniques like exercise, right? All these other things that when people say like, you should be using exercise to treat anxiety. Absolutely. Right. Those things work. But if you get it, when it gets out of control, sometimes you need something to bring it back down. And yeah. no, for me, that's what I need. I need to be on, you know, that really, really minimal low dose, but I need that to keep me from getting out of control so that I can actually use things um, like breathing techniques, um, listening to music, playing music, whatever it is for for different people. Wow. Yeah. Hey, thank you for sharing that. Because I think it's very important, especially in contrast to what, what Peter <laughs> – Peter sometimes is very, very like, I like to do things by the book. And he's like, I want to have some tactical things. And I think that it couldn't have been a better wrap-up or – just a better introduction to it is oftentimes we paint people who we, you know, we see in, in high respect as, you know, perfect or untouchable, or I want all the attributes of you, but you've so well succinctly just kind of unwound it to the point where you thought I was perfect, but check it out. I, I am going to need an airdrop to get this thing to get me under control. And I think that's awesome because a lot of times people are so afraid of the stigma. Like, I don't, I, I can't have really know I'm taking medication. I'm a perfect person in my basement and we don't talk about things like that. So I just want to thank you for doing that. Cause that's huge. So many people. Yeah, yeah. You're welcome. And I think for me, it helps to be honest about it. Like, you know, the more I talk about it, the better I feel about it. And the more I can yeah. name it and, and control some of it more. And, yeah. and right. And I wish someone had said that to me 10 years ago or 20 years ago. Right. And, you know, I think we're more open about it now. Yeah. Could I ask you one follow-up question about your wife? Sure. Like you, you knew this about yourself, right? Like, oh, now I'm on the kitchen floor and <laughs> all this thing is like, had she seen, or have you had her conversations where she's like, oh yeah, I've seen like a little precursor to this. Or remember that time you did that? Right. You know, I think in hindsight, a little bit of that. And I think for me, it was, it was easy to look back and, and it's more like, I think I was able to hold it all together for most of my life because, because I could, because I could, I was pretty functional at juggling things. But yeah. at this point it was new job, three little kids, you know, you name it, all these things were hitting and it was just, I just couldn't juggle it anymore. Right. I couldn't, I couldn't fake it. And so it's like, well, I've actually had these anxious feelings. I just was able to, to somehow control them. But when it got to be too much, that's when yeah. it hit. Scale just tipped. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. One of the reasons why I thought it'd be so awesome to bring Mr. Wolf on tonight is Exactly what you just said, Todd. It's not that I think that he's a perfect superhuman. It's it's that he navigates 
his challenges in a way that I just think is incredibly admirable. Yeah. And I wanted him to bring that stuff up in tonight's conversation. I didn't want to bring that up. But in the beginning, when I was touting him as such an amazing human, it's not that I think that he's perfect or he does everything perfect. It's that he manages the challenges that life brings him with a stride and a demeanor that I think is is really, really cool. Cool. Way to go, Mr. Wolf. And do you still shave with honey? (laughs) Um, Sometimes, yeah. I try not to shave as much as I used to, but yeah. If you need if you need the recipe, we've got a recipe for making homemade shaving cream. So. Didn't your wife see Roadkill and bring it home make soup one time? Yeah, yeah. There was a partridge that got hit on her way to work, and so she pulled over and grabbed the partridge, and she was so excited. She emailed me. She's like, I got a present for you. I got a surprise. And I'm thinking like, oh, I don't know what it is, but it's going to be so cool. And I get home, she opens up the car, and she's like, surprise and it's, it's a dead right, partridge and i was like what and i'm like this is the surprise okay like, <laughs> that's a that, surprise she was so excited and i was just confused but i was like yeah no that's cool and I'm like what do we what are we doing now she's like we're gonna eat it and i was like all right so i went out and dressed it and cleaned it and we ate it but um that it's actually happened twice now Pete. you don't know about the more recent <laughs> so i don't know what's going on with partridges around us but we've had two dead partridges and the other day something something was hit by the side of the road and she's like let's pull over and get it i was like no we're not pulling over get so just the fact that you said no you think that is weird so i was right with saying there's something uh, weird yeah, it's borderline it's, well but if it's happened twice it's officially normal now what's, what's a partridge like a grouse or a quail is yeah it small? Rough, rough rough grouse okay yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. we call them partridge out here uh, we East call them rough grouse west coast <laughs> yeah yeah uh todd you got anything else I like to eat grouse, but I don't know if I'd pick one up off the side of the road. <laughs> no, well, Tacoma be... might be a little different than yeah, here. Like my buddy, like if, if somebody clips a deer, like they'll bring it home. You know, like no problem. So yeah, it's the same thing. Yeah, it's not that odd. Yeah, no, it's not that odd. Thing. It's odd if you're from yeah. Massachusetts, like Pete is. That's a whole other story. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to talk about New Hampshire. We know what happens there. Oh man, we know the growth. The best part about living in New Hampshire is the view of Vermont, right? For sure. Say. Oh man. Mr. Wolf, thank you so much for coming on and chat with us. I feel like we just, just like grazed the tip of like the six hour conversation that we, that we could have to dig in deep. And, um, I just really appreciate you sharing. I appreciate you guys having me on. It's awesome. I know it's late, late, late for you. Appreciate you staying up late to our listeners out there. We so very much appreciate your ears. We thank you for your time. We are incredibly grateful for your attention. On behalf of Mr. Wolf, Mr. Ellis, and Mr. D here, we are the Schooling Struggle Podcast. We are out. See ya. See ya.